Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Bethesda, can you just stand to your feet, give a big Bethesda and a big God bless you. Welcome to Pastor John Paul Burdishaw. You can be seated. Um, it is great to be with you this morning. Had a great time in the first service, and uh, just a good time worshiping, man. You guys have an amazing worship team, and uh, you don't realize how blessed and fortunate you are to worship under their leadership. I've just enjoyed uh, first service and this service. Um, and, and two, I want to brag on your pastors and your leadership uh, Pastor Chad and Karen um, do a phenomenal job, and we hear great things about what God is doing in your church. Pastor Stan uh, and Pastor Chad are, are good friends, um, and, and just hear about what God is doing and the excitement of what's happening in Bethesda Church and in your community uh, because of what you're doing. Um, this week, as I kind of prepared to be here with you today, I, I got online and listened to the last couple weeks of your messages, and, and uh, man, Pastor Chad killed it last week talking about David and, and uh, Pastor Karen a couple weeks ago on Esther. And, and uh, so if you haven't been here, you're here for the first time. Um, I'm going to kind of continue on the series that they've been in called Running with the Giants. And today I'm going to look at Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. And I'm going to talk about hopeful expectation and having expectation in our walk with the Lord that God is going to do something great and supernatural in your life. Um, I want to read our key scripture. So they have a key scripture that uh, has kind of been established for this series, and that's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And it just simply says that, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every hindrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And we have, as a church, you guys have looked at some big figures in Scripture, right? And you have looked at some role models and, hey, here are some ways that we can run this race, our spiritual journey with endurance and perseverance. And, and, and so today I hope that the word that I'm going to share with you will encourage you in the same way, that you will be encouraged to run with the giants and that you will be encouraged to live life full of hopeful expectation. So as you flip to 1 Kings chapter chapter 17 in your Bible, I want to pray for us today. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity to be in your word today. God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship and come together, God, as a church. And, and um, Lord, I pray that you would just be with us this morning. God, I pray that you would open our spiritual ears and our, our, our hearts to your word, God, and that you would just speak to us today. God, I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us, God, and meet with all of us individually, God, in the way that you need to. God, and we give you the glory for all things. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Expectation. What is expectation? Definition is just simply a strong belief that something will happen 
or be the case in the future. It basically just means that you are anticipating something happening, right? That you have the expectation that something is going to happen in your life. Um, I have two children. I've got a six-year-old little girl. Um, she'll be seven in March, and I've got a four-year-old little boy. Uh, Kinsley thinks that she runs our household. Um, she does a pretty good job at it. And we actually just went to a parent-teacher conference, you know, and she's in first grade. And, and uh, so preschool, she got uh, the award. They were giving out like the little funny superlative. Relatives, and uh, her preschool award was Future uh, Mother of the Year Award, and. <clears throat> So then this year, uh, actually last week, we had our parent-teacher conference, and, and, um, and the, our teacher, we go, she goes to a, a private Christian school there in town, and she said, you know, she's great, social skills are good, she's really good at mothering the kids, and the kids are trying to learn how to navigate that, you know, because Kinsley wants to, you know, tell you what to do, and, and, uh, she, and it's turning out to be a great asset for her now, you know, but um, so that's Kinsley, my six-year-old. Uh, and then I have a little boy named Hudson, and he's four. Uh, we call, affectionately call him Huddy Buddy. And um, they're both are just totally full of life. And anywhere that you see Kinsley, she generally has a baby doll. She's going to carry a baby with her. And Hudson always has a sword with him. So we have swords all over the house, right? And so he carries his sword in the back of his shirt. I mean, literally anywhere that we go, he's got a sword down the back of his shirt. We are out to dinner yesterday or lunch yesterday before I got on the road heading this way. We're at a nice restaurant. Allie gets the kids all dressed up. Kinsley gets the baby sling with the baby and Huddy gets his sword. I'm like, sheath your sword, son. We're going in the restaurant. But Hudson came to me the other day and he said, daddy, when is it going to be Christmas time? I need a sword holder. I'm like, buddy, it's, we still have a little while before it is Christmas. And and he, he doesn't, he's not real good with time yet. So he'll say, hey, daddy, can we go to the park tomorrow? You know, if it's getting ready to be bedtime. I'm like, yeah, buddy, we can go to the park tomorrow. Then he'll wake up and say, is it tomorrow yet? Because he has this idea of daddy said tomorrow we're going to the park. And I'm like, well, it's kind of tomorrow, but it's not really tomorrow. You know, trying to explain that to him. But he has this expectation that as a four-year-old, that mommy and daddy are going to provide and do certain things for him, right? He has this expectation that Christmas is going to soon roll around and that his lists of things that he wants, primarily weapons, are going to be given to him, right? Sword holders and swords and all things ninja, you know? Um, and he has the expectation that as parents, we're going to provide those things for him. And I believe that it's important for us as a church and as Christians and men and women of God to realize that we can have hopeful expectation that God is going to do certain things in our life. And if we look at the story of Elijah, we can see that he was a man that had great faith, but he also had great expectation. He believed that the God of Scripture was who he says he was or is who he says he is and that he was going to be faithful to his word. So I want to talk about Elijah and hopeful expectation in our lives. But before we get into the scripture, I want to give you some background information about this particular passage of scripture. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that 1st and 2nd Samuel kind of records the reign of David and his, and his son Solomon. And, and Israel at this time was in a very uh, a great time of prosperity in the nation. Um, King David led in a way where, uh, for the most part, he honored God and his decisions and the things that he did. 
Um, and then King, King Solomon begins to, when he takes the, the reign as the king after his father passed away, um, he does really pretty good for about the first half of it. And then about halfway through, he begins to introduce some things into Israel um, that weren't really aligned with Scripture. And he begins to introduce idol worship and he begins to take wives from neighboring countries and he's beginning to allow things to creep into the country that are not really aligned with what God wanted for Israel. And so there begins to be a place where there is tension and idol worship and there's you know, a lot of dissension that is beginning to be birthed in the nation of Israel and amongst the tribes. And what was once a glorious time in King David's uh, era is beginning to kind of drastically go the other direction. King Solomon dies and his son Rehoboam comes in and it just goes drastically worse, more downhill. And now fast forward 58 years, and you have King Ahab, and we have Elijah kind of pop onto the scene. So get the, the picture in your mind that it's evil king, there's idolatry going on. Uh, king Ahab had actually married a lady by the name of Jezebel. You might be familiar with her in scripture. She was actually from a neighboring country, and the marriage was kind of done in a way to establish a political pact between nations. Well, Jezebel didn't worship Yahweh, she worshiped Baal. That's important to know as well because um, a lot of ancient texts, they recognize Baal as the god of prosperity and fertility and production. So they thought that Baal controlled the wind and the rain and the storms and the seasons. And because they were an agrarian culture, that was very important to them because it was directly connected to the health and prosperity of the nation. And, and, and Jezebel is such an evil queen that she's actually trying to kill uh, the prophets of God, the prophets of Yahweh. So that's the, the situation that we find ourselves in um, in 1 Kings chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read one verse out of chapter 17, then we're going to flip over to chapter 18. So 17 verse 1. Now it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So the, the, the nation is in just a, a place of uh, dismay and, and, and difficulty. And Elijah just shows up. This is the first place that Elijah shows up in the scripture. He goes to King Ahab and says, hey, listen, it's not going to rain anymore. So verse 18, verse 1. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. So three years between 17.1 and 18.1, and Elijah had been on the run. He had been by a brook, and he had gone to live with a widow, and God can, had given him provision along the way. And if you've never read these two chapters of Scripture, I'm going to encourage you to go home and do that. And in verse 18, the Lord says, hey, go to Ahab, and I'm going to send rain. And he goes up, and he sees Ahab. And then you might be familiar with the story where Elijah says, hey, get all the prophets of Baal together and we're going to see who the real true God is and we're going to see who can pray down fire from heaven and consume the offering. So jump down to verse 36 of chapter 18 and we'll pick up the story. It says, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. 
Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and he slew them there. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink. For there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And he crouched down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and he looked, and he said, There is nothing. And he said, Go back seven times. And it came about at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. And in a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. It's an amazing story when you really read it for face value, right? That Elijah prays, and there's a three and a half year drought. And he prays again with the expectation that God is going to be true to his word, and it rains. So if we are going to have hopeful expectation, it requires us, number one, to have confidence in God. You know, when you look at this passage of Scripture, man, we just see a man, a prophet, who is just full of confidence. It takes a lot of confidence to go to a king and say, hey, listen, because you are an evil king and because you have introduced the worship of Baal into the nation of Israel, God is going to dry up the heavens. And because you are doing all of these things, there's going to be a famine in the land. It takes a lot of confidence to go to someone who is dependent upon his wealth and his prosperity because of his crops and the agriculture to say, it's not going to rain anymore. It takes a lot of confidence to go in front of 450 prophets of Baal, in front of a king who wants to kill you and declare what the word of the Lord has said. It takes a lot of confidence to declare, I hear the sound of a heavy rain. It hasn't rained in three and a half years. I haven't seen a cloud in the sky. Dew hasn't come up from the ground, but yet I hear the roar of the sound of a heavy rain. Elijah had a lot of confidence. There were no indications in the the previous week or month or whatever it may have been leading up to this moment that there was rain coming. But yet he declares it with confidence. And Elijah had great expectation. I think sometimes in our personal lives, we struggle with our confidence in God because our lives are so marked with seasons of unmet expectations. We have just things in our life that don't go according to plan. So think about maybe a job situation that you've had where you were applying for a promotion or you were applying for a new position and you've got your resume just right and you've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's and maybe you went back and did some continuing education and you prepared yourself for this job interview, this job promotion. 
and yet you didn't get the job. Unmet expectations. Maybe you are married and you've been married for two or three or four or five years and it doesn't look quite like you thought it was going to look like and there is a little bit of tension in your relationship. There have been unmet expectations. Maybe you own a business and you thought that your financial situation would be a little bit different and, and you have employees that you're responsible for and it's a little bit difficult and you have more sleepless nights than not. Unmet expectations. Maybe you have a, child, a child or children who are away from the Lord and you didn't really think that their adult life would look like the way that it does right now. Unmet expectations. We all have them both big and small. You know, me and Allie, the other day we were out to, to dinner and there's a little pizza place that we like to go to. And it's kind of like one of those like hippie tree hugger places, you know. And, and um, so they like to make the gourmet pizzas and you can get the wheat crust and the fire roasted tomatoes with spinach and all the. So that's my wife, right? And I think we go here because it makes us feel better about eating pizza because she gets her half like, you know, all the veggie stuff. So they'll do wheat crust and they'll do just regular plain old crust. So we've kind of decided that we're, you know, when we go, we do half and half. And I've kind of made the concession that I'll do wheat crust. And, you know, that makes me feel better about all the pepperoni and cheese that I'm eating. But so we'll do the wheat crust pizza and it's, you know, half pepperoni and then half her side has got all the things on it. We were there the other day. And so she says, hey, make sure that you order the wheat crust. And I'm like, gotcha, babe, I will do that. So go and order. And Allie's getting the kids settled away. We're sitting down and and they bring the pizza and, you know, I, we pray and I start eating. And Allie's like, did you order the wheat crust? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, this is not it. And at this point, you know, we're 30 seconds in and I'm already a piece down, you know. And it's like, hey, we're too late to send this bad boy back. I've already eaten it. And she says, well, that's disappointing. Unmet expectations. And that's a funny little thing, but our life is marked with them. And if we're not careful, what we allow to do is we allow the pain of our past to affect the confidence that we have in God. And so I want to encourage you this morning, and if you're filling in the blanks or going with the notes online, to don't allow, don't allow the pain of your past to affect your confidence in God. Because God is still God and God is still reigning no matter what your per particular situation looks like, no matter what season of life you find you're in, but be confident in God. Think about Elijah. He was affected by the drought just like everyone else, right? He navigated three and a half years of his country being in severe famine. I'm sure that there is a season where he wished, man, I wish that this drought would come to an end and I wish that the crops would come back and I sure wish that these things would be different in my life. He was affected by it and I'm sure that he wished that it was different but in nowhere in scripture does it say, hey, lose confidence in God because your situation doesn't look like just what you think it should look like. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. It's one of those things sometimes that's easier said than done. But I think as men and women of God, we've got to constantly remind ourselves and be encouraged that we can have confidence in God and to not be discouraged because he's not going to leave us. Ephesians 3, 12, in him, in Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom 
and confidence. Not only do we need to have confidence in God, but we have the opportunity to approach God with confidence. Have confidence in God. Number two, hopeful expectation requires us to pray with patience. To pray with patience. It's one of those things in our lives that I think that we really have to learn to do. And we see in Elijah in verse 43 where he told his servant to go back, right? And scripture says that he sent him back seven times to look at the sea. Go back and look seven times. And I was reading and kind of studying through this passage. The Spirit just kind of spoke to me and said, John Paul, how many things in your life have you prayed for and believed for, but you stopped praying after one time, or you stopped praying after two weeks, or you stopped praying after three months, and the breakthrough and the promise and and, and my hand working was just you continuing to labor in prayer patiently. And John Paul, just be committed to praying patiently and understanding that sometimes what I'm doing in you is just as important as what I'm wanting to do through you. But we've got to be committed to praying with patience. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Maybe God is wanting to do something in you and maybe God is wanting to do something in your church while you continue to pray with patience. Read something this week that just absolutely jumped off the page to me and it's the second check mark here. It says, prayer is often less about me getting God's attention and more about him getting mine. And I thought about that for a second. And I thought about what my time in my prayer closet looks like. And sometimes it's me being loud and boisterous trying to get God's attention because I think he needs to work or move in a specific way, in a specific time frame, and do it just the way that I ask him. And so many times God is wanting to do something in me and he's wanting to get my attention, but I'm so concerned about the external situation in my life that I don't give God the margin and the opportunity to speak to me. And we see that in Elijah in verse 18. He's attentive enough to the Lord that the Lord can speak to him and it can change the course of his day and his path and what he's doing. You know, there's a scripture for me and Allie, that has been really important for us the last several weeks and there's several months. And it's been very powerful for us, powerful for us. And it pertains to this dynamic of praying patiently, praying with patience. And it's Romans 8, 28. And it says, and we know, excuse me, that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Me and Allie, like I said, we have two children. And about this time last year, I really began to wrestle with the dynamic of having a third child. And and you guys don't really know me, but I was always the guy that was like, it's us four and no more. Like we can play man-to-man coverage and we're good. Like me and Allie aren't outnumbered. I don't have to shop for a minivan. Like when we get on roller coasters, it's two and two. You know, like we're good, right? And, and so I'd already always kind of put up that front too, like, ah, we've got our two, I've got my boy, we're going to, you know, and we're, we're good. And, and about this time last year, the Lord began to deal with me about having a, a third child and that maybe it was time for us to expand our family a little bit. 
I didn't say anything to Allie. I didn't say anything to anybody. I just was kind of praying about it. I'm like, God, if this is you, and I think I might have had too much of that pizza the other day. I don't know where this is coming from. It Surely it can't be you. But I began to pray about it and just kind of think about it when I, you know, when I was praying. And a few weeks went by, and Allie came to me, and she said, hey, she said, what would you think about having another baby? And I said, I think that would be awesome. And after I picked her up off the floor, <laughs> she was like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah, I've really, God has kind of been stirring my spirit about it. And I think it would be great. So my wife is super type A. She's a school teacher. <clears throat> Everything that we do is planned and organized. And that's where my daughter gets that. So to give you an illustration, my wife was teaching school and she said, hey, I think I would like to have our first baby the middle of March. That way I can take the rest of the school year off and have the summer for maternity leave. I'm like, perfect. Kinsley was born a week early and was born March the 6th. And then Hudson comes along. She says, hey, I, you know, we did pretty good on the first one. I think I would like to have this one kind of like the end of September, or excuse me, the end of August, first of September, you know, the school cutoff date. She's got all these reasons. I'm like, whatever, I don't care. And so the second Hudson is born September the 6th. She wanted them two and a half years apart. They're two and a half years apart to the day. It's crazy. So she says, hey, Let's maybe get pregnant and we can tell our family at Christmas and nobody's going to be expecting it. It's going to be awesome. We miss Christmas by a little bit, but Allie gets pregnant. And in May of this year, the Monday after Mother's Day, we lost the baby. We'd already found out it was a little girl and it crushed my spirit because it crushed my daughter's heart as much as it did any of the rest of us. But our life in that moment was completely met with unmet expectation. We were met with the situation that we thought God was in the process of. We were met with a situation, a dynamic that we were praying about. And yet in that moment, I just wrestled with God, where are you at in the process? And I was reminded of this scripture that in all things, that in all things that God causes things to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And then we just began to pray and say, God, you know what? I don't understand. I, don't, I, I can't figure out why Allie had way more grace through the process than I did because she's more spiritual than I am. Any of you guys, that, anybody out there that's like, yeah, that's my wife. But Allie said, she said, listen, I don't understand it, but I see the merit in it. Because she understood that God was doing something in her life in the process, that God was doing something in our life in the process. And we just began to pray patiently and just believing that God, you know, that God is who he says he is and not allowing our confidence in God to waver. Now we are pregnant again and we are due the end of March. And so I think you need to pray for me because when this baby is born, I will have had a wife who have been pregnant 13 of the last 15 months. So I'm like really praying and fasting. <laughs> but through that season and even through the season now, if you've ever walked down that road, you understand that the next time there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of what ifs at every doctor's visit that you're on the way to. 
And we've really just had to make the resolve and be committed to the fact that God is faithful, that God is who he is, and that we're going to have confidence in him, and that we're just going to continue to pray patiently, and that we're going to be okay with the process because there is always purpose in the process. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let me just encourage somebody in the room this morning that for some of you, you might be walking through a season that is very difficult and that the abundantly that God promises might come after the fifth or the sixth or the seventh time you pray or after five months or eight months or a year of laboring and believing God. But let me just remind you and encourage you to pray patiently and don't allow your confidence in God to waver. If we're going to have hopeful expectation, number three, it requires us to have bold perseverance. And we see boldness in Elijah all throughout these two chapters. And Elijah knew that God was going to do what he said he was. And so he was okay with having, with having bold perseverance and, and standing in the face of adversity, standing in the front, in front of a king who wanted to kill him, standing in front of 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah knew that God was going to be faithful. Oftentimes we see that God builds our faith and develops our patience by delay. That God builds our faith and he develops patience by delay. That's the next check mark if you're filling in the blanks. You know that patience is a fruit of the spirit, right? That God wants to build that aspect in our lives. And that sometimes that what we see as delay, that God is just in the process of cultivating us into the man or woman of God that he wants us to be. That he's building our faith and he's building our character and he's building our integrity. And he's teaching us how to walk with perseverance and patience and boldness, even when it doesn't look like it's supposed to look like in our eyes. What you view as delay, God often views as a faith builder. In verse 42, the scripture, this, this verse is kind of unique to me because all throughout life growing up and reading this passage of scripture, I've just always kind of seen verse 42 where it says he, he crouched down on his knees and put his head between his, or he crouched down and put his head between his knees. I just kind of always thought about his posture of prayer, right? So it's like when we get down to pray and sometimes we kneel on our knees, and the other day I was reading through this passage and I had the realization that maybe Elijah put his head between his knees so that he would be blinded from the external situation that he found himself in. Elijah said, I hear the sound of a heavy rain. There's not forecast for rain. In fact, it hasn't rained in three and a half years, but God said it was going to rain. And I know that if I allow my, my eyes to look at the heavens and I don't see clouds, I might grow a little discouraged. But you know what? I'm going to go to the mountaintop. I'm going to go to my prayer closet and I'm going to put my head between my knees so that I'm not discouraged and I'm not frustrated and I'm not focused on the things that don't matter. But I'm going to stay here of a moment with bold perseverance and I'm going to pray patiently, just believing that whatever's going on on the outside, that God is in the mix and God is in the process and God is working in me and God is working through me to cause all things to work together for my good. And I don't want to look, servant, so I need you to go and bring back a report. I need to know if I need to keep on praying or if there is a small cloud in the sky. And Elijah had bold perseverance. James 1.12, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. 
For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Have bold perseverance. Be faithful to the Lord. Number four, if we're going to have hopeful expectation, it requires us to declare the promises of God. Declare the promises of God. If you have your Bibles, I want you to kind of look at both chapter 17, verse 1, and chapter 18, verse 1, because I'm going to kind of compare those just a second. 17.1 so now says, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now look at verse 18, chapter 18, verse 1. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain. Chapter 17, 1, Elijah just declares something, right? It doesn't say that the Lord told Elijah to go and declare. It just says Elijah went and he declared it on his own accord. Chapter 18, 1, the scripture says, The Lord said, Elijah, go do this. Here's the interesting thing to note, that in chapter 17, verse 1, Elijah is just declaring the promises of God. He's declaring the thing that the Lord has already spoken. Deuteronomy 11, verse 16. Beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. The nature of where King Ahab is at, right? They're completely turned away from worshiping Yahweh and they're worshiping Baal. Verse 17, or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the ground will not yield its fruit and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Elijah is declaring the word of the Lord that has already been spoken that says, hey, if you as a nation begin to worship other gods, the heavens are going to be dried up. Elijah knew the scripture and he says, listen, I am sick to death of the state of the nation of Israel. I'm tired of, of Baal worship creeping in and I'm tired of what the king is doing to our people. And I'm going to stand on the promise of God and I'm going to go and declare prophetically that what God has already spoken is going to come to pass so that God's people's hearts will be turned back to him. And three and a half years of waiting and God finally speaks and says, hey, go to King Ahab, I'm going to send rain. Now if... It was me. I'm like, God, you know what? You dried up the heavens. We've been six months and the crops are drying up and it's getting pretty, you know, slim pickings around here. Now, God, if you can start moving everybody's hearts and start turning people's hearts back to you, that would be great. But God's process and God's timing was probably different than even what Elijah thought. But yet he was declaring the promises of God and he was okay with being patient and waiting on God and having bold perseverance. I love verse 17 of this passage because when Elijah comes back to King Ahab and Ahab sees him walking up in verse 17, Ahab calls him and he says, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Because if you remember, the worship of, of Baal was directly tied to productivity and, and produce and reproduction and his nation, after three and a half years, was in a difficult spot because of the famine. And he blamed it on Elijah. 
But in the prayer where Elijah prays down fire from heaven, his prayer was so simple, about 62 words. And the key phrase is, God, do this so that your people will know that you are God. And there's this moment where he sees Ahab and Ahab calls him this troubler. And I think that there's probably this dynamic where it's like, listen, you still don't understand that the trouble that you're walking in is because of your own doing. And the spirit quickened my spirit several days ago, several weeks ago, actually reading this passage. And he said, you need to be known as a troubler in some areas of your community. You need to be known as the person who goes into some neighborhoods, some communities, some workplaces, and you begin to stir things up on the spiritual realm. You need to be the one who's known as praying and fasting and believing for breakthrough in your schools and in your community and in your churches and over your marriages. Because the enemy wants nothing else to come in and steal, kill, and destroy, right? And I kind of think that maybe Elijah wore that with like a a badge of, you know, he was proud of it. Yeah, I'm the troubler, man. I have turned things upside down for God. Verse 44, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. Let me just remind somebody this morning, don't despise the small beginnings. Elijah declared it prophetically. I hear the roar of the sound. Kept praying until he saw the small cloud. And when you declare the promises of God, let me remind you that declaring just means acknowledging the possession of. Formally announce the beginning or a state or a condition. What are the things in your life that scripturally you need to declare that they are rightfully yours as a son and daughter of the king, that they are yours as a man or woman of God, some some situations in your life that you need to declare the promises of God? What are some things in your church as you get ready to embark on a building campaign and a program, not for your benefit, but for the benefit of your community and your region that you need to begin to declare the promises of God over? What are some things as a church that you need to begin to declare and pray over your pastoral staff and your leaders and your kids' ministry, all of those areas that you want to see flourish? Declaring the promises of God is so important in our lives, and we've got to begin and understand that it's imperative that we walk in it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, His divine power, Jesus' divine power, has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Listen, He's given every, you everything that you need So that you can participate in those promises. So that you can walk in those precious promises. It's amazing. You know, I will say this about my wife. She's better at this than I am. But if we're walking through a difficult season, I'll come home from the office. And she will have index cards. And she will have just gone through the Bible. And she will have found just all the scriptures that she can find that pertain to that situation or that particular season that we're walking through. And she will just put them all over the house. And she's got uh, dry erase markers. And in our bathroom, she'll write scriptures on our, our, our mirror. And she will declare things. Hey, this is what we're believing God for. This is what we're doing. This is 
what we're believing God to see based upon his promises of scripture. And we pray according to his word. Checkpoint there for point number four is that God's promises are not given to restrain prayer, but to incite prayer. They are given to stir up our desire for prayer. They're given to us so that it will invoke us to prayer. Sometimes I think we're timid around God and we pray little haphazard. Now I lay me down to sleep prayers and God is wanting you to go to your prayer closet with boldness and bury your head between your knees and begin to not look up until you feel a release as you declare what God is going to do over your life and over your church. What is God calling you to do and to pray for and to believe for? What is the difficult season that you have navigated unsuccessfully because you have tried to fix it on your own? What is that level of unmet expectation that the pain of that situation has trickled into your relationship with the Lord and it has caused you to not have confidence in God? What situation have you navigated that has caused you to keep God at arm's limit because he didn't answer you on your timetable? Listen, God is who he says he is. And I wish I could explain it to you enough and I hope that the Holy Spirit seals that on your heart this morning that you can have unbelievable confidence in God and that you can have hopeful expectation that he's going to be true to his word. Because declaring the promises of God is a definitive act. It's not aimless. It's definitive. Definitive means that it is already done or it has been reached decisively with authority. And you carry that authority to walk in the precious promises of God. James 5, 16 and 17 says that the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Listen to verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That is good news. That Elijah was a man with a nature like yours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. Don't grow weary in doing the things that you know are right. And maybe today you are walking through a situation and you're just like, I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, John Paul, and I just don't know what to do. Let me encourage you to go to your word and begin to declare some promises over your life. Maybe your life has been marked by chaos and you need peace in a situation. Maybe you begin to pray Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. God, I don't understand it, but your word says that you're going to keep me in perfect peace because I'm going to trust in you. Maybe you are a single mom and life gets a little bit lonely or maybe you're in a household of family but you battle with depression and being lonely. John 14, 8, I will not leave you as orphans but I will come to you. God, I feel like I'm all alone in this situation. I don't know how to navigate being a single mom all the time. God, I am depressed and battling it but your word says that you're not gonna leave me as an orphan and I need you in this moment in my life. 
You begin to declare the promises of God. Maybe you're worried that you're going to have more month than you have money, and you're not quite sure how all the ends are going to tie up. Philippians 4:19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Maybe your decision-making process in your life and in your family is totally dictated by fear of all the what-ifs that you can't control. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. God, I'm not going to walk by fear. God, I'm going to walk in the freedom that you have provided me with. Maybe you're sick in your body, Jeremiah 30, 17. For I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord. Maybe you are that business owner who is struggling, Deuteronomy 8, 18. Then you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Maybe you've got that son or daughter that's away. Maybe you have been praying diligently for weeks and months and years. Maybe they are uh, so far away from the Lord, you don't know how they're ever going to be drawn back to him. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Here's what I know. A church of a thousand in the mountains of West Virginia is an anomaly. But here's what else I know, that God has positioned you in a place to make a huge impact and a difference in your community, your region, your county, your city. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk into a building campaign with hopeful expectation that God is going to do amazing things through the Bethesda church. And that God is going to position you to walk through the pain of the past into a new season of fulfillment because you walk out your life declaring the promises of God. I want to pray with you this morning. And I just want to pray for you and believe that God is going to do some things in your life. But before I pray that prayer, I want everybody in the room to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to ask, is there anybody in the room that's maybe you're here for the first time or maybe you've been here a lot of times and you say, hey, John Paul, you know what? I've never surrendered my life to the Lord. I've never, I've never made a commitment to following Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And today I want to do that. Maybe you're watching online and that's you as well. But if that's you, would you raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. Anybody in the room? Anybody in the room? I see one hand, that is awesome. I see two hands. Thank you, Jesus. It's the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. And I just wanna pray with you and I want you to pray a simple prayer after me and you just kinda pray this in your own words. But if you raised your hand, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to be in your house today. God, we are thankful for the opportunity to worship together. God, you saw the hands that went up that signified that they want to make you the Lord and Savior of, your, of their life. God, and I pray that today as they pray this prayer and they just, they, they confess that they are a sinner. God, and that they make the decision today to follow you and make you the Lord of their life. God, I pray that you would seal them with the power of your Holy Spirit. God, and I pray that you would begin today the process and the journey of shaping them into the man or woman of God that you've called them to be. God, and I pray that as they give their heart to you, God, that you would just do great things in their life. And it's in your name we pray, amen. I want everybody to stand up with me. 
And listen, if you raised your hand and you prayed that prayer, I don't know what your process is here at Bethesda Church, but I guess that it is filling out a connection card and connecting with a pastor. And let me encourage you to do that because they wanna help you on the process of navigating and walking through your spiritual journey. Now, here's what I wanna do before I close. And I just wanna say thank you for giving me the opportunity to share with you. You're an amazing church. But I wanna ask you this morning, how many in the room today would just say, you know what, John Paul, I've had a situation that has just stripped me of my hope. It's stripped me of my confidence in God. Or maybe I just need a little bit of patience in my life. Or maybe I, something that you said today just spoke to me. And I, need, I want God to show up and just encourage me. Hands. Yeah, this is one of those things we can have our hands up with eyes open, right? Because it's most of us. I just want to pray with you. And I'm going to declare over you that you begin to walk in a new season. We say it at our church, I don't know if you feel comfortable with it, but I say, hey, get into a posture of receiving from the Lord, whatever that looks like. If you want to put your hands in the air, you want to bow your head, you want to grab a knee, that's fine with me, but I just want to pray with you. Heavenly Father, we are thankful again, Lord, just to be in your presence. We're thankful for your spirit. God, we're thankful for what you're doing in the Bethesda church. God, and I pray that today, God, that you would begin a new work, a new season, God, in someone's life. God, I pray that where they have been, their lives have been marked with pain and frustration and unmet expectation. God, I pray that you would begin to change the tides and shift the seasons, God, and that they would begin to walk into an area, God, of just utmost confidence in you, God, to continue to pray patiently, God, and be okay with the process and the delay, God, knowing that you are working all things together for their good. God, and I pray as a church, God, that you would give them great vision, God, and great capacity, God, as they get ready to expand their influence in this region. God, give them hopeful expectation that you are going to show up and do supernatural things. God, we love you today. We worship you. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.